Thank you so much, Ellis, for your music. What a gift. I'm especially drawn to the lyrics of that last song. In the chorus, you sing beautifully about the love that will carry us home, the kindness that will hold back the storms around us. But in the verses, you talk to us about some hard truths. For instance, nobody knows everything. We don't have all the answers. I know that this one is hard for many of us, myself included, especially those of us greedy for knowledge and the dominance that comes from having the answers. You also describe life sometimes feeling like an unsteady boat, making us feel alone. You talk about the need for compromise and for embracing change. This tension between the chorus and the verses was a tension I experienced while preparing for this exact sermon. I had planned to preach a sermon today about ordinary love, the ordinary small acts of love and simple acts of kindness that sustain and nurture us. As small as they seem, they actually contribute slowly but surely to our liberation. And since our worship theme this month is liberating love, I wanted to pause and think about those little acts of ordinary love, like the way my partner occasionally will cook a meal for me while I'm writing a sermon. And then he'll also do cleanup from the meal, even though I usually have very strong feelings about the person who cooks, doesn't do cleanup. And yes, I am talking about last night. Thanks, Garrett. Maybe you all have experienced similar small acts of love and kindness recently. Or maybe you've been the one focusing on passing some of those around to others. Either way, those beautiful little wrapped or unwrapped gifts of love and kindness are so important right now. In our world that is so fraught with war and fighting, vicious arguing and profound polarization, those little acts of ordinary love deserve our focus and celebration. Take some time this week to think about ways you have received them and given them. And take some extra time to think about ways you can continue to spread them around in the weeks to come. Ordinary love is vital to our survival and needs to be celebrated. But somehow, just like Ellis in their song, moved from chorus to verse, I moved from a sermon focused on ordinary love to a sermon about conflict. This might feel surprising to you until you realize that conflict is inevitable between two parties who are deepening their own relationship. We are not the same. And the more we get to know each other, the more we encounter those differences. I've been reading a book this year along with our staff and our board. It's called Transforming Conflict, The Blessings of Congregational Turmoil by Teresa Cooley. I think there are still copies of this book available in the bookstall in the social hall. And I encourage you to pick one up if this topic interests you, or maybe more if it scares you. In this book, she describes conflict not as a place that exclusively leads to anxiety, but one that also leads to transformation and to growth. Now, I've talked with many of you throughout my years here about your relationship to conflict, and I've noticed a pattern. Many of you don't like it. Right? Yeah. I got, I'm seeing some like, I don't know who you're talking about. Don't worry, you're not alone. I don't like it very much either, but I have to admit, I really warmed up to the concept of leaning into conflict 
as a source of transformation and growth. I can't point to any one specific cause, but I can name a few things that have helped me. First of all, I have learned more about coexisting with people who think and believe and act differently from me. By no means am I an expert, but the more I stay in relationship with the people with whom I disagree, the more I am practicing the skills necessary to engage with conflict healthfully. Second of all, I learned about the skill of remaining non-anxious in the face of conflict. I'd rather have the conflict come to the surface with clarity so it can be addressed instead of simmering beneath the surface and coming to a slow boil without my knowledge. Third, when conflict arises between people in a deeply loving relationship, it is a great opportunity to get to know the other person better along with their preferences and quirks and insecurities and gifts. Oh, and did I mention you also learn all of those things about yourself too? You notice your own preferences and quirks and insecurities but also your gifts and insights and the default settings. If you take the time to investigate how you act and react and interact within conflict, you'll begin to notice more about who you are and how you are in the world, the good, bad, and ugly. And the reason this is coming up today during this sermon about ordinary love is because it's virtually impossible, try as we might, to avoid experiencing conflict with those we love. The more you get to know someone, the more you notice your differences. You realize how different you are, and this realization doesn't have to bring you stress or anxiety, as long as you know how to hold your differences tenderly. In Pat Schneider's poem, The Patience of Ordinary Things, she describes the ordinariness of a cup holding tea, how the floor receives the bottoms of shoes or toes, how souls of feet know where they're supposed to be. She wonders aloud about the patience of ordinary things, how clothes wait respectfully in closets, and soap dries quietly in the dish, and towels drink the wet from the skin of the back, and the lovely repetition of stairs, and what is more generous than a window? This litany of ordinary things caused me to ponder the ordinary aspects of love. And one of them is the basic necessity to tell someone that you love when they're in the wrong, when they've hurt you, when they've made mistakes, when they have spinach in their teeth. <laughs> These ordinary acts of love vary in size and difficulty, ranging from simple dental dangers all the way up to heartbreaking hurts. And sometimes a bolder form of love is required. Some people call that special form of bold love, tough love. But I like to think of it as a form of love that practices accountability. Just like in Jennifer's child study this morning, where she experienced a tough form of love from her father, who was pushing her to follow through with her obligations, both for the sake of the obligation and because of the learning that was there for her. And I assume, though I didn't ask, that Jennifer often assigns her English students books to read and faces that same sense of obligation, but now from a different perspective. I'm so curious about this sense of tough or accountable love, and I wonder how many of you have experienced it in memorable ways. When I think about a time when I faced some tough love that asked me to take account, of, account for my actions, take responsibility for my actions, 
I think back to my high school days. My best friend at the time was Josh, and he and I were thick as thieves. We co-owned a lawn mowing business together, so we spent almost every day together over multiple summers. His parents had gotten divorced when he was younger, and he and his mom went through some pretty serious fights here and there when he was in high school. There'd be months at a time when he would actually just end up living with my family, and we became, understandably, very close. Excuse me. We also hosted a weekly radio show at the Christian radio station up in Hibbing, Minnesota, which was about 45 minutes from our hometown. We drove up and back every Sunday night to play some of our favorite songs and have a little banter on the radio together. I still don't know why our parents let us do this. We were so young, I think 15, 16, 17, and we were the DJs, I don't know. We even discussed the weather at the top of the hour, you know, like professional 16-year-olds. At some point during one of those trips, we were getting into an argument about something, and I said something mean to him. I don't remember what it was but he called me out for being mean to him. And then I said that ubiquitous get out of jail free card that you may have also heard. I was just joking, right? You've heard that one before? Maybe you even, even used it before? I mean, you'd think it would be a brilliant way to get out of any sense of accountability or responsibility because he couldn't possibly be mad at me. I was joking, right? Well, as it turns out, that was not right. And also I had used that line one too many times. So he finally just said to me, you know, I get that you're joking here and there, and you're trying to be funny by being jokingly mean, but when you're jokingly mean this often, it just feels like you're being mean a lot. Joking or not, and it's not fun for me. Wow. That really stopped me in my tracks. It was super hard to hear. They didn't like the feeling of recognition that was washed over me, of shame, of embarrassment, that I had been jokingly or not mean to him for quite some time enough to make him finally say something. He'd already been experiencing quite a bit of meanness and pain in his own personal and family life, and I was adding to it. It was a real eye-opener for me, and I approached sarcasm differently after that day. Don't get me wrong, I still use it here and there, you know, with a deep sense of cushion of love within good company, but I use it sparingly. That hard conversation I had with Josh that act of tough love deeply affected me, and I still remember it almost 30 years later. I invite you now to take some time to actually think about a brief story in your own life where you experienced tough, accountable love, where someone took the time to tell you what they were worried about or tell you that you hurt your, their feelings. What did you learn from that act of tough love? For the next few minutes, I'm gonna invite you to think more about this question or even possibly share with a neighbor. If you're on Zoom, feel free to share a few brief thoughts into the chat box about what you learned from receiving tough or accountable love. Aaron will open the chat box for you to share with each other. Be sure to change your settings so you can share with each other, not just the hosts. And then here in the room, Take some moments, think about this. The invitation here is to share with a neighbor. It's not a requirement, it's an invitation, but you might be surprised about what you learn. So feel free to ask and answer the question, what did you learn when you received some tough love? I'll call you back together in a few minutes. Our second poet, Jan Richardson, 
talks about the love that travels a complicated way. And what other way is there to travel? Love comes to us with many complications and it has multiple facets. You know this. My prayer for you today is that you'll find a love that is shaped by accountability and deepened by complexity. My blessing for you is that you will know this ordinary love, which is also actually extraordinary love. Let's hear the poem one more time. Tangled, a blessing. I do not know any mercy but that it comes to us tangled, any blessing but that it comes to us bound with every other thing. Praise to the tangle, praise to the knots, praise to the love that travels a complicated way and to the joy that meets us twined, spiraling in its intricate delight. May it be so and make it so. Amen.